whenever the government provides opportunities and privileges for white people and rich people, they call it subsidized. When they do it for the Negro and poor people, they call it welfare. The fact that is that everybody in this country lives on welfare. Suburbia was built with federally subsidized credit. And the highways that take our white brothers out of the suburbs were built with federally subsidized money to the tune of 90%. Everybody is on welfare in this country. The problem is that we all too often have socialism for the rich and rugged free enterprise capitalism for the poor. That's the problem. That was a quote from the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Welcome to the Darrell McLean Show. I am Darrell McLean. We live in a world today where there are several hundred million people starving to death. They're starving to death right now. All over this country today, there is a certain demoralization. And the demoralization is that some people believe that what goes on in the White House and what goes on in the Congress reflects the will of the American people. And by assembling here today, as the Rainbow Coalition and as other groups from 46 states in America, what we are saying very loud and clear is that Ronald Reagan and his billionaire friends do not represent America, but we do. In some of the largest cities in America, 50% of the kids are not graduating high school. The cost of college education in this country is zooming up, so you have to be a wealthy person to send your kid to college. There was once a dream that my parents had and many people's parents had that if you work hard and go to school, you can get a college education. But what people like this gentleman do not know is, for example, that in Scandinavia, in Sweden, you've had socialist governments for decades. But in fact, that country is probably, in most respects, more democratic than the United States. They have 80 or 90% of the people voting. They have strong labor unions. They have a more open media. They have a health care system guaranteeing health care to all of the people. Not to say that that's utopia. But at a time when the wealthiest people of this country have seen a tremendous increase in their income, while at the same time the standard of living of working people and poor people has declined. I will be damned if I will vote for a proposal which will stick it to the middle class and the working people. And Mr. Speaker, I've got a problem. I've got a problem with a president and a Congress which allows five million children to go hungry, two million people to sleep out on the streets, cities to become breeding grounds for drugs and violence and they say we're getting tough on crime if you want to get tough on crime let's deal with the causes of crime let's demand that every man woman and child in this country have a decent opportunity and a decent standard of living let's not keep putting poor people into jail and disproportionately punishing blacks. While our children go hungry and sleep out on the streets, lack adequate health care or educational opportunity, the wealthiest people in this country have grown far richer while their tax burden has declined. We have an approach to campaign financing, which to a very large degree allows wealthy people and major corporations to buy and sell politicians. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer, and ordinary Americans are shut out of the political system. The United States today is one of two nations in the industrialized world that does not have a national health care system. That has to do with campaign finance reform. The United States today, the chief executive offices are seeing their salaries soar, and the gap between the rich and the poor grows wider. Ten million Americans are unemployed. That has to do with campaign finance reform. The system, by and large,
much is owned and controlled by big money interests and the President of the United States and much of the Congress does the work of protecting the big corporations and the wealthy people who control the economic and political life of this nation. This country, this great country, this democracy is evolving into an oligarchy. And an oligarchy is a country in which a few people have tremendous wealth and tremendous power and exercise that wealth and that power over all. We have seen a situation where we give huge tax breaks to the wealthy and you have two million people sleeping out on the street. Billions of dollars into all kinds of obsolete weapon systems and you have five million children who are hungry. Let us give hope to people in America today who have lost hope. Let us provide jobs for the jobless, housing for the homeless, food for the hungry. Workers in the United States today are working longer hours, significantly longer hours, taking less vacation time than they used to take. And is there any wonder why so many millions of Americans feel stressed out? They need to work longer hours, they need to work overtime in order to compensate for the real decline in their wages. Let's talk about welfare for the rich and the powerful. Now we start off from a proposition that the wealthiest 1% of the population in this country owns more wealth than the bottom 90%. When we talk about the growth of the economy, what we should ask ourselves is who is gaining that income. And what is clearly going on is the lion's share, the overwhelming amount of the growth in income is going to the very, very wealthiest people, while the vast majority of the people are seeing a decline in their real incomes. I find it ironic that it is the taxpayers of this country who are going to have to bail out banks that have made billions and billions of dollars investing in Asia. Is it morally right that CEOs of large corporations now make over 500 times what their workers make and seem to make more money to the degree that they lay off American workers? Walmart has replaced General Motors as the major employer in America, paying people starvation wages rather than living wages. We can fight terrorism, protect the American people without undermining the basic constitutional rights which make us a free country. They understand that our trade policies are failing when they note that our trade deficit is huge and growing larger every single year. And it seems to me, Madam President, that before we go forward again in pursuit of a failing trade agenda, we might want to sit back, take a moratorium, understand why our trade policies are failing, and then put together trade agreements that work for the working people and the middle class of this country, rather than just the CEOs of large multinational corporations. The wealthiest one-tenth of one percent, one-tenth of one percent, 300,000 men, women, and children now earn more income than do the bottom 150 million Americans. No matter how many children live in poverty, no matter how high the unemployment numbers are, they want more and more and more. And I say enough is enough. And you want to know why the American people are cynical about what goes on in Washington? You want to know why the Congress of the United States has an extremely low level of support or favorability. It is because the American people know they are getting ripped off. You have millions of people today who are working long 
wages and their income is going down. Their wages are going down. This grotesque level of inequality is immoral, it is bad economics, it is unsustainable. This type of rigged economy is not what America is supposed to be about. This has got to change. And as your president, together, we are going to change it. When we stand together, there is nothing that we cannot accomplish. And I pledge to you that every day I will fight for the public interest, not the corporate interest. I will not abandon any segment of American society, whether you're gay or black or Latino, poor or working class, just because it is politically expedient at a given time. So let us go forward together and let us tell the Republicans that their reactionary agenda may work for the billionaires, but not for ordinary Americans, and we are going to defeat them. Thank you all very much. Sunday's edition of Profiles in Courage, we will be talking about the Vermont Senator Bernard Sanders. Bernie Sanders, of course, is an American politician who is the senator from the state of Vermont and a U.S. representative for the largest at large congressional district. He served as a senator from 1991 to 2007. Bernard Sanders is the longest serving independent in U.S. congressional history, though of course he caucuses with the Democratic Party for most of his congressional career. Um, Senator Sanders actually also was the co-founder of the Congressional of the Congressional Progressive Caucus which was established in 1991 by six members of the United States House of Representatives. Uh, Ron Dumas, Lane Evans, Thomas Andrews, Peter DeFranzino, Maxine Waters, and then Bernard Sanders. Bernie Sanders is known for his opposition to income inequality, neoliberalism. On domestic policy, he disports labor rights, universal and single-payer health care, paid parental leave, the Green New Deal, climate change, military spending, purges, uh, reduces military spending, pursuing more diplomacy and international cooperation, New Deal-style FDR policy, policies, and, of course, the Nordic economic model. Bernie Sanders was born in a working-class Jewish family in Brooklyn, New York, he attended Brooklyn College and graduated from the University of Chicago in 1964. While a student, he was known as a very active protester for the Congress of Racial Equality as well as for the Student of Nonviolent Coordinating Committee during the Civil Rights Movement. As an independent, when he landed in Vermont, he was elected to mayor in Burlington in 1981 and re-elected three times. He won election to the U.S. House of Representatives in 1990, representing Vermont's at-large congressional district. 
Now, Bernie Sanders actually became interested in politics early in 1940 when many of his relatives were murdered in the Holocaust. Sanders became interested because he says a guy named Adolf Hitler won an election in 1932. He won an election by more than 50 million people and 50 million people died in the election because of World War II, including 6 million Jews. So what I learned as a little kid is that politics is very important. The almanac of American politics calls Bernie Sanders a practical and successful legislator. Throughout his career, he has focused on the shrinking American middle class and growing and the growing income and wealth gaps in the United States of America. As the chairman of the Senate Committee on Veterans Affairs, Sanders in 2014 passed legislating reforming the VA's healthcare system in a congressional quarterage. He was able to bridge Washington's toxic partisan divide and cut one of the most significant deals in history. Today, Sanders remains on the Veterans Committee and was tapped by the Senate leadership to be the ranking member of the Senate Budget Committee. He also serves on the Environment and Public Works Committee, where he is focused on global warming and rebuilding our nation's crumbling infrastructure. He is a member of the Energy and Natural Resources Committee, where he is championing efforts to transform our energy system from fossil fuels to renewable power sources like solar and wind. He also sits on the Health, Education, Labor, and Pension Committees, where he has fought for greater access to affordable health care and improved education programs from pre-K to college. In the year 2000, South Bend, Indiana's Mayor Pete Buttigieg, then a college student, won a Profile in Courage Award after writing an essay on Bernie Sanders. Pete Buttigieg won the John F. K. Presidential Libraries Award, the essay by Edsler and Kramer. The high school student, then Pete Buttigieg, wrote, A new attitude has swept American politics. Candidates have discovered that it's easier to be elected by not offending anyone rather than by impressing the voters. Politicians are pushing, are rushing to the center, careful not to stick their necks out on issues. Most Democrats shy away from the word liberal like a hoarded accusation. Republican presidential hopeful George W. Bush uses the centrist rhetoric of compassionate conservative, while Pat Buchanan, once considered a mainstream Republican, has been driven off the ideological edge of the GOP. Just as film producers shout different endings and let test audiences select the most pleasing, some candidates run test platforms through sample groups to see which is most likely to win before they speak out on major issues. This is a disturbing trend reveals cynicism and a double-sided problem, which is perhaps the greatest threat to continued success of the American political system. He continues to write, Cynical candidates have developed an ability to outgrow their convictions in order to win power. Cynical citizens have given up on the electoral process, going to the polls at one of the lowest rates in the democratic world. Such an atmosphere inevitably distances our society from its leadership and thus a fundamental threat to the principle of democracy. It also calls into question what motivates a person to run for office in many cases. 
apparently only the desire to occupy it. Furthermore, for the, politically pro for the political process, there remain a number of committed individuals who are steadfast enough in their beliefs to run to, for office to benefit their fellow Americans. Such people are willing to ignore political and personal comfort and convenience because they believe they make a difference. One outstanding and inspiring example of such integrity is the country's only independent congressman, Vermont Bernie Sanders. Sanders' courage is evident in the first word he uses to describe himself, socialist. In a country where communism is still the dirtiest of ideological dirty words, in a climate where even liberalism is considered radical, and socialism is immediately, perhaps willfully, confused with communism, as politicians dare to call himself a socialist. He does, indeed. He is someone who has looked into his own soul and expressed an ideology, the endorsement of which in today's political atmosphere is analogous to self-inflict gunshot wound. Even though he has lived through a time which and admitted socialists could not act in a film, let alone hold a congressional seat. Sanders is not afraid to be candid about his political persuasion. That was just an excerpt from the Profiles in Courage essay that Pete Buttigieg wrote in the year 2000 that won him the Elsler Kramer Award. You can check out the article on the jfklibrary.org. If you are interested in reading the profile in its entirety, if you would like to find out more about the Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, I will be leaving his bio link along with his legislative accomplishments in a link down below. I will also leave the essay written by uh, Indiana's Mayor Pete Buttigieg. On a content note, I want to try to pick someone that I do somewhat a profile on every Sunday to provide a more calmer and balanced tone um, to be very different from the rushed news um, platform that you get during the week when everything just seems to be rushing. I wanted Sundays to be a more relaxed atmosphere. Um, if you would like to support the show, you can go to www.patreon slash the Darrell McLean show. And thank you and see you on tomorrow.